everybody. This is Patrick Falk with the Everyday Teacher Podcast. Uh, this is episode six, and today we're going to be talking with a great friend of mine, Gordon McNeil. And uh, Gordon and I go way back, and uh, he uh, just uh, actually a couple of weeks ago uh, retired, quote unquote, officially from education. Uh, he was uh, the president at the Sage, ha- Sage Hill School in Newport Beach, California, and we'll, we'll give Gordon an opportunity to talk about the Sage Hill experience, but I'm really excited to have him on. Gordon, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. Uh, you know, we have we do go way back, don't we? Uh, and um, you know, it's fun catching up with you today at an interesting point in my career. But I'm great. Uh, how are you doing? Hey, we're as as my dad uh, always tells me, uh, keep swinging the bat. And uh, you know, it's it's been good. It's been a great summer so far. Um, mm. Spent a lot of time prepping for next year, but really reflecting on what I want to continue to doing. And, and, and right before we came on, uh, Gordon and I were talking about that. So let me give you a quick, how did I meet Gordon? Gordon, um, I actually didn't know Gordon, but I knew, I knew Gordon from high school. Uh, he went to my rival high school, Tribuco Hills High School. Uh, go Mustangs. Go Mustangs. Um, and I was a Laguna Hills Hawk. And uh, Gordon's a couple years older than I am, and he played basketball. And uh, I believe you were the first graduating class there, right? Yeah, 1987. Yeah. So, um, and then, uh, he went on to go play basketball at UC San Diego. And I, I, a few years later, I followed suit and the year I got down there, Gordon had just graduated. And then fast forward a couple more years, I was graduating college and I needed a job and a mutual friend of ours, uh, Pete Selleck, who is also an educator who I hope to have on here soon. Um, kind of put me in front of Gordon and another good friend of ours, uh, and uh, I went to work for his family's company. And uh, the Club Mac days, the Pacific Business Systems, um, selling computers, it, it was awesome. But, uh, you know, right from the get-go, Gordon, uh, he was just the guy that kind of ran the show, and uh, he just commands that presence. And uh, we were talking about it before, but uh, can you tell our listeners how you got into education? How did that process come about? Well, I think, you know, going back to the Pacific Business Systems Club Mac days, you know, I, I had been working there through high school um, in, into college. And then after college, I, you know, went there full time. And it was obviously my parents' company. Um, and it was mom and pop when it first started, uh, no question. But by the time Pat came onto the scene in 96 or so, you know, it was, it was a full legitimate company. Um, and um, I don't know how many employees were there, but 80, 90 employees uh, and, um, you know, fast pace, you know, things are changing, you know, by the minute. And, you know, as a, as a family member, I felt obligated to jump into the, to the deep end and, and, and commit myself to the work. And, and so, you know, it wasn't my plan to be a, a computer sales leader, uh, you know, that wasn't like in, in my vision. And Pat and I were talking before this, um, before we started this uh, podcast, you know, there's a, there's an inner calling in you. Um, and one of the hardest things in, the, in life to do is to, to listen to that voice. Um, some people feel it comes from God. Some people feel it's their true North. Some people feel like it's just this inkling or this sensation doesn't really matter, you know, but you, you know, you have it. And, and probably like around 96, right. When you got there, Pat, I started going to night school, um, to, to get my teaching credential at national university. Um, yep. And here, here's the reason why, you know, when I, I, I was reflecting at night, my, my wife um, might have been fiance at the time. So we got married in 96 so and around there, you know, and I were talking and she was like, you know, you just don't seem to be happy, you know, as happy as you could be. And um, 
you know, it was the work. Uh, it took me a while to realize that, but the work was wearing on me and it, it, I wasn't finding fulfillment in it, even though I was getting a good paycheck. And so, um, you know, after reflecting and trying to listen to that inner voice, it's like, well, what makes me tick? And um, at the time it was, it was basketball, sports. Um, so how do you make a living at that? You coach, well, you, Pat, Pat you know this, coaching ain't gonna pay the bills. No. So what do you have to do? Well, for me it was, well, you gotta teach with it. And so, you know, um, I went out, got my teaching credential at National University, walked into my dad's office one day, we were talking earlier that the timeline was actually 1997 because that's when I student taught at Tribute to Hills High School. And, um, and I said, Hey dad, I'm going to go uh, teach. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Cause I didn't tell him I was going to night school. I just did it all. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I guess he, I, I, I could just imagine the look on his face too, sitting back. Oh, in his chair. Well, he grew up in the, you know, kind of the depression and he went yeah, through tough times as a kid in Ireland and, you know, kind of, you know, he was a kind of a pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And yeah, for him, it was always making money because he never had it as a young right. kid. Right. And so for me, I grew up, you know, very middle class. Our, our company started getting successful as I was going through college mm -hmm. and, you know, middle class to kind of an upper class lifestyle. I, I never went for not. And right. so it wasn't about money for me. It was about fulfillment, which is a privilege. Right you know, to sure. be able to think that way. Um, but like, I know I'm going to be able to pay the rent. Um, and, right. um, you know, so then I have options. Uh, and when you have options, you know, you, you start looking at your passions and, um, you know, it, it, I thought it was coaching and we'll get into this in a little while, but it ended up being teaching. Right. Ended up being passion. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, so I mean, let's in, in, again, I have a very similar uh, path where, you know, I, I worked in the corporate space for almost 10 years and, as, as fate or, you know, the inner voice or, you know, hairs on the back of your neck, uh, you know, I too got called in education. And, uh, and do you think, how, how do you think being in corporate space, you know, doing, working for your, your parents' company? And again, I think that's one of the most valuable pieces of experience I can ever take to be able to dive into a business and truly understand how every piece of that business works and then the role those people have to play in that cog so the wheel continue to spin i think you know uh, when it was just club mac even then when it was sold to even pc mall uh the larger conglomerate you know that that experience for me really set a huge foundation when i got into um the classroom so so how do you view your corporate career prepping you um for teaching as well as administrative work you know after teaching yeah, definitely the administrative side. So let's get to that in a minute. But, you know, from a teaching perspective, uh, you know, look, one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life was playing sports. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's exactly what you just described, Pat. It's, a, you know, you're, you're, a, you're one piece of a puzzle, you know, when you're on a team. And, um, you know, all of us have our natural, you know, valences, you know, like, what are we good at? Right. And sometimes we don't even know what those are, but they just, they naturally appear, you know, right. I think you, I don't know how close you were, you know, to actually watching those basketball teams at UC San Diego, but I was always the, I'm going to work harder than anybody guy. Absolutely. And I'm going to motivate and cajole you to be you know, <laughs> the best guy you can be. And, and I'll sacrifice everything to win. Yes. Um, whatever that is, you know? Yes. And so to me, it started in the off season and it went right through, you know? And, right. um, so that, 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 that 
was a huge part in, in teaching. And then when I was at Club Mac Pacific Business Systems, um, you know, there was things that we had to build. So we had to build a sales force. You know, when I was there, I was like, when I first started there, it was me and my brother and a couple people answering phone calls. That was it. You know, right. when you got there, there was, you know, 50, 60 sales people. Floor, yeah. sales, sales floor. And, and, you know, I had to build that. I made so many mistakes, you know, on, in building that. But that, you know, that trial and error process was huge. Sure. And then understanding what motivates people on the sales floor. So you would think it would you would think it would be money because they're salespeople. And for some of them it is, but that's a very extrinsic extrinsic value. Sure. Um, just like we were talking before, it, it it comes back to the intrinsic. Like, you know, does does my boss feel like they know me? Right. Does, does he or she understand my needs? Um, you know, uh, I have three kids and I'm having a hard time getting here at 8 a.m. Are they willing to adjust my schedule, you know, right. you know so I can get my kids off to school? Right. Th those things which really don't cost any money can be twice as valuable as a, a bonus check, right? Sure. So sure. I, I explain that because I learned that along the way through a lot of pain and suffering. <laughs> making, <laughs> Absolutely. Thinking I'm, thinking I'm going to give you a, a $2,000 raise and that's going to be everything. When, you know, if you really think about a $2,000 raise, the day you get it, you feel good. Then it kind of gets buried in paychecks over a year and you yeah, don't really yeah. notice it. Absolutely. It, it doesn't do much, you know, uh, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so in the classroom, you take that same mindset and you're like, you know, there's a team atmosphere, even though they're individuals and they're all trying to get their A, there's a team component here. There are certain kids that are going to lead groups better than others. There are certain sure. kids that you know are going to volunteer. You may have to say, hey, look, can you, you know, help me, you know, get this other kid to, you know, start Absolutely. speaking up a little bit. Um, you're going to right. have to create um, forums, right? Like, you know, one of the greatest things that ever happened in education is this. Most schools now, um, forget the COVID, you know, issue, but even before that, we're kind of going down a dual path. They would, you, you would have a platform where you're teaching in, in mm -hmm. class and you have a, a side platform, which is the online component where you're tracking things and kids are checking in sure. on the work. And, and, you know, I found out early on that um, if I ask a question in class, I get the same three kids raising their hand. Right. If I ask a question in an online chat room, all of right. a sudden that I never heard from is leading the charge. Right. right. And Absolutely. so like, that's very similar to what I learned in the corporate atmosphere. You got to adjust to your, to your players. Um, you uh -huh. got to adjust to your employees. You got to adjust to your right. students, right? And so you adjust slightly. Um, yeah, I took all that with me, and then and, and then from an administrative standpoint, you know, I think the the path forward for schools is you're. I don't think you're going to see. It's going to be rare that you're going to see a pure educator rise up to lead schools in the future. Right. The reason why is there's so many components to running a school that are business related. Absolutely, it is a business. You know, let's Absolutely. just call it what it is. And if you're not good with the finances, if you're not good with hiring and firing people, if you're not good with um, how to motivate, if you're not good with, um, you know, laying out a curriculum, um, you're not going to make it as a, as a, as a principal or a, right. a, a, of a private school. And so, yes, absolutely. My administrative background in, in working at um, Club Mac and Pacific Business Systems, you know, propelled me forward without a doubt. Right. No. And, and, and it's funny is, is, you know, I was, I spent what, three weeks in sales and then uh, me, you Reed and, and Sean and, and, and Matt went to lunch and, 
And uh, he turned to me and said, we're moving you to product management. You start tomorrow. <laughs> and Matt was like, Matt, who was the sales manager at the time, was like, wait, 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 wait time out. <laughs> and you're like, it's not negotiable. Let's go. <laughs> um, but then to be put into that brain trust and, and you know, the one thing you did an awesome job. Your dad did an ama amazing job. Um, and, and Mike got better at it as he went, um, is really understanding what you bring to the table and finding ways to, and, and I'm going to use the word reward, um, find, find ways to reward your efforts. And uh, it, it was interesting, and you were talking about like a $2,000 bonus. It's, it's funny that, again, you and I were talking about something and you asked me just randomly like what I was making in product management. And I told you, and I had already been there like a year and a half or something like that. And then uh, you like got up and left and I'm like, <laughs> what did I say? You know? And you, you, you know, you cut, you, you, uh, and over the, over the phone, I hear, you know, you know, Pat Pollock come to, you know, Ken McNeil's office. And I go over there and, you know, he sits me down and, and, you know, I was still calling your dad, Mr. McNeil, you know, I, I would never call your dad by his first name, you know, I, I never would do it, you know, um, and, uh, the McNeil mafia, be careful. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're the one that said, Hey, if you see the guy that looks like the janitor, that's the CEO of the company. That's my dad. I mean, that was, that was a great, I, I'll never, I'll never live that down. So, um, but he, he sat me down and your dad just didn't say anything for a few moments and I got very nervous. And then um, he just said, by the way, we're giving it, we're bumping your pay up three grand. All right, go back to work. Go make me money. And I was like, w w <laughs> I had no idea what happened, <laughs> but I just remember you saying that. It was just kind of, just kind of jarred my memory. Um, something else you touched on, which, which again, more to that point is finding the value in your people. And, and this will kind of take us into our next question, which talked about like how you got into administration and leadership. But you said something that, I, that I've seen firsthand you do. And I think it's something that, that I try to do with my students is you purposefully take the time to invest in your people, find out what makes them tick. And then that goes back to, to us playing sports. You can't trust the guy on the, on the floor, you know, if, if you don't know anything about them, you know, that's what makes pickup ball so hard, right? You get five random dudes out there. It's, it could be a disaster, but you throw five guys out there. You trust, you know, you know, they have their back. They know you have their back. You, you, then it, then, then you get some, you know, some continuity out there, you know, but that, you know, I, I think it's so important whether you're a teacher an administrator um, that you purposely find, what what makes your people tick because if they see that you value them you hold them in some regard they're going to run through walls for you and, and i know you've seen it at, at your school uh, i've seen it with some of the students that i've had and even some of the teachers that you've worked with or had to manage and had to sit down and have maybe some challenging conversations with um but you know when 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 you know you feel supported you're going to give them the very best. And I think that's something that, that definitely I've seen firsthand you do, whether it's at Club Mac and I definitely, when you're at Sage Hill. So like, why did you want to go, did you want to go into administration or you were just presented with an opportunity, you weighed your options, but then it just kind of went from there. It was fairly intentional. I mean, I, you know, um, the opportunity didn't present itself. I had to go find it, but, but, um, 
real quick on the reward issue, you know, and I think you brought up a good point. I don't even remember that conversation, but I'm sure I did it because that is a motto of mine. And one of the frustrations I had in the public um, school enterprise, you know, there's great teachers there. And unfortunately, you know, a principal can't just go, I see you, you are incredible right. and reward them. Right. Because there's a, there's a, everybody's on a, on a pay a schedule. Right. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and it's union run. Um, and there's a lot of good qualities with unions, but that's one area that I always thought, you know, sometimes you have somebody who's just doing the deal and you uh -huh. want to make sure that they, they are rewarded for it. And, you know, like if you can be proactive, what a compliment to the employee. They didn't even have to ask. Right. You know? So like, you know, that was your case. Like, you know, look, you're doing the work. You know, it's been a year and a half. You know, I got 80 other employees and, you know, so I'm not really tracking you as closely as I should. Hey, Pat, what do you make? Oh, okay. let, me, let, me, let me go work on that for a minute because I don't, I don't right. want you taking off at the next thing. You know, you're, you're good. And I want to say thank you to you, you know, right. for sure. In, in terms of, you know, me moving from, so, so my first teaching job was at Corona Del Mar high school, a really well-known, you know, public high school here in the Newport yeah. area. Absolutely. It's constantly gets, you know, some of the highest test scores in the state, definitely in the County uh, for a public school. And, and um, you know, top to bottom, well run. People move into the community so they can go to that high school. Right. Um, it's had its issues too. You know, there's there's sure. a sense of entitlement in Newport Beach. Um, you know, you're, no, no matter how you, you you cut it, you're dealing with 2,000 kids. And, uh, you know, there's a right. lot of um, lot of variance in who those kids are, what their parents' right. expectations are, how involved they are, not involved. You know, just like any sure. school, problems. And the reason why I got into administration is I was running a seventh grade classroom primarily. I taught a little bit of 12th grade economics as well, coaching three different sports, loving every minute of it. And I, and I really thought to a certain extent, I hit, hit the jackpot on my, the school choice where I ended up and um, right. you know, the work I was doing. And, and you, you know, Corona Del Mar High School, they've got great, yeah. you know, we, were, we won a CIF title in baseball. I was an assistant right. coach. We lost in the CIF finals in basketball. I was the assistant coach. Like, you know, I was getting... Yeah. It was a fun ride. You know, we were building something cool, you know. And um, in my seventh grade classroom, like, I was always a big believer that, you know, I, I never had rules. I would set expectations, right? Right. And the way I would, I would do it is, you know, some kid would get up and sharpen their pencil while I was talking to the class. And instead of reprimanding the kid, I'd be, hey, Johnny, that was, that was awesome. You know, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. And I would use it positively. I wouldn't, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Kid, so to speak. And I right. would say, you know, like, look, you know, Johnny needed his pencil sharpened, you know, like there's no question. Now let's talk about, you know, when and how that could happen. Right. So there was, no, there was no punitive thing. I never sent a kid to detention. I managed it in my classroom, right? Absolutely. It was really, really easy for me to handle. And yet I would go out onto the campus in the middle of the day at lunchtime and there would be trash laying around everywhere. I'd hear kids dropping F-bombs. I would, um, you know, just see kids not 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 meeting a um a standard or an expectation that you know they probably had internally but you know that the, right. the lowest common denominator won the day and so, so they right. fell into a bad a bad habit you know and, and i was frustrated that i couldn't influence that with my you know 150 kids that i you know came into right. contact with during my five periods right um you know there was another 2000 that i had no influence on Right. And so there was a school, Sage Hill School, that opened up uh, nearby. And um, I started hearing about it. And I heard they needed a dean of students. And the dean of students' role was to establish culture. Right. And I thought, wow, you know, what an opportunity to come into a place um, 
and, and, and possibly do what I'm doing in my classroom on a community wide. Right. <clears throat> right. And, um, and so I went after it and, and, uh, they interviewed me seven times. I, I'd only been, teaching, <laughs> I'd only been teaching for two years, you know, and right. you know, a, a school like Sage Hill, you know, picks off the best from across the nation. Right. And who is this guy? Like, what, what is he pitching here? You know, and, and, and that, right. that's where my business background, my sales background, right. my, um, ability to kind of articulate a vision. Um, you know, and I learned all that, you know, in business, you know, um, sure. came, came in handy. And so I walked in there and convinced them that I could leave this school. Yeah. I mean, in which, in what's crazy, we'll talk, we'll talk about Sage Hill because it's, it's, it's one of the best high schools in the country, not, not, not the state, but the country. And, you know, you know, ref, reflecting upon, you, you went, started as a dean of students. And I think when I, uh, when I was subbing there, I think that was your role. And then you became the head of school, Correct. right? And then your, your last position was president. So you, so how, how did, how did those transitions work? And, and what was like, I mean, obviously when you're in charge of culture or discipline as well, you know, it presents its challenges. Now you're in charge of the school. I'm sure that presented its challenges. And then you're, you're, you're doing something that, that, they, they created, right? I mean, that, that, that position. Yeah, it, was, it was my, my idea to create it. So I, I gave myself a promotion. Um, boy. You got it. You got to you do what you got to do, but you can just kind yeah, of was, talk about those transitions and then yeah. how you, how, how it kind of, you know, allowed you to get to the next space, if you will. Well, you told a story when we were, you know, kind of getting ready to, to, to record here. And the, and the story was about um, me starting a service um, customer service program at Club Mac. It used to be handled all by the salespeople and it was becoming cumbersome. And so we, we separated it. So when there was a problem, you would call into a customer service department, which is a you know common way to handle these things. And you walked into the back room and at the time we really didn't have a customer service department. So it was me. Right. And I was, <laughs> I was sweeping the floor, you know, right. and here I am, you know, one of the top two or three people in the company. Um, sweeping the floor, taking out the trash, you know, literally walking out to the dumpster, you know, right. and unloading, you know, probably at eight o'clock at night or something when things quieted down and, and you were like, well, what are you doing, man? Like you're, you're the vice president of, you know, the company. The answer is, is, you know, if you want to be successful in life, um, you, you need to do it all, you know? And, yeah. and, and I learned that from my dad, I, you know, early on when I was working there, when we had 10 employees, I was, I was, I was responsible for shipping. Right. I've done it all, like literally. Yeah, at that no, and, I know. <laughs> and, and the, the UPS and the FedEx manifest had been done for the day back then. We, we wrote it all out. Right. And right. Um, all the boxes were stacked neatly. And I was sitting there chilling. And my dad walked back there and uh, he's like, what the F are you doing? And I'm all, oh, dad, look, all the boxes are done. The manifest is done. And he just looked around the warehouse and he goes, can't you see all the things that need to be done right now? Right. And at age 18, I could not. Right. I could not see it. Right. And so that was like a great lesson for me to start looking. Right. You know? And so my success at Sage Hill and my, my step up the ladder was a direct result of that mindset. So when I was a dean of students, a typical dean of students is responsible for school culture. Mm -hmm. But I would also be the guy that was walking around picking up trash at lunch. Right. I'd also be the guy when I saw a sprinkler broken in the back, I would work with the, the facilities guys to get it fixed. Right. If I saw like um, a, a program or a department that, you know, the school was just being founded, that right. no one was running, 
because it, God, we should be running this. Right. Stick my hand up and say, I'll run that. Right. And I was just, I was working nonstop, but it was all for the, the higher calling that we talked about earlier. So I had no, it didn't feel like work, you know, it was right. like, sure. we're doing something to serve kids. Right. Right. And so when the founding head of school stepped down, they, they didn't come to me and, and ask me to be the head of school. Um, you know, I'd only been, you know, a, an administrator for four or five years at that point. Like I was two, I was 33, 34. Like, you know, that just doesn't happen. Right. right. So they, they, they found a, a head of school on an interim basis and then they hired a full time head of school in 2007. And she came in and yeah. all those things I was talking about for culture and building this, you know. Right this, you know, cohesiveness, she just didn't have it. And they right. came to me and said, can you hold down the fort? And a lot of people would say that that's just right place, right time. And I would agree to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but they came to me because they knew I knew the culture. Right. And they knew I was all in. Right. What they didn't know was my business background. Um, right. and, and so what happened is I came in, the school was struggling, um, you know, with reputation and enrollment and fundraising and all those things. And I just put a business plan in place and said, let's go to right. work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I rode that wave until about 2013. So from 08 to 13, I was the interim head slash head of school. And long story short, that same mentality all in, even as a head of school, I was picking up trash. I was sweeping. Right. I was, you know, after the dance, I would clean up with the kids. I would, you know, like, and, and you know what that does too is it allows you to engage with kids. Sure, absolutely. You know, you're, you're after a school dance at midnight. You're cleaning up, and what are you doing? You're having conversations while you're picking up trash and right, the, kids, the, floor, you know, right. the struggle they have at home or whatever. And right. all of a sudden now you have another lens into their life. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and and then in 2013 we had this massive campaign where we were going to build you know a swimming pool, tennis courts. Right. Science Center and uh, you know redo the cafeteria and put a student store in and it was like right. sixty million dollars worth of things and I'm like there's no way I can be the day to day right. guy and do that and build right. an actual reputation right let's, let's divide it into two mm -hmm. and, and because of all that runway and all that experience and all that success the the board was willing to work with me to do that and that propelled us forward again. Um, yeah. So you know, the, the one thing I would I would push hard is uh, is the one thing that drives me nuts is when I see a leader not doing the little things. Right. I no, just that's a great, that's a great, that's a great perspective. Yeah. And and they isolate themselves as a result. Right. And and then they they're out of touch. You right. Know? And so I don't think I ever got out of touch because I was willing to do the work. I even taught courses. I would still advise students. I would coach. I would you know I kept right. my hand in the game wherever I could. Right now, that's 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 such a that's such a great point. And, and, and we're gonna at the end, you know, we're gonna look at Tim Kite's um, five E's of leadership. And and uh, you, you, in that little segment there, you, you touched on all five. And it's it's it, but you know, we'll kind of dive into it a little bit deeper um, in a minute here. So so Sage Hill is I had the opportunity to be at Sage Hill really still in its infancy. I don't think it was even 10 years old yet when, when I had an opportunity to coach there and, and, and substitute there. Um, it's certainly a very unique academic environment. The, uh, the level of independence, uh, there, uh, for me, it was a challenge just because I'm more of a, I need walls and structure, but, uh, definitely, uh, the students that go there uh, seem very self-motivated. 
and uh, the teachers there are, are top notch um, eh, for sure. Um, so eh, briefly describe the Sage Hill experience. Like, like it's it's a very unique academic institution. It's not like uh, it's not. I don't. I wouldn't categorize it as a typical private school. Um, you know, so like kind of describe that Sage Hill experience. Yeah, I mean, there's a, look, there's a, there's a, there's a, you, you were fortunate that we get to select our students. So let's start with that. Right. Because, you know, well, in 2007, eight, it was still a struggle. We weren't, we weren't as in demand as we are now. So we couldn't be as selective as a school sure. gained reputation and status. Then you can get a little more selective. Right. But we're not necessarily, you know, at that entry point, we're not necessarily selecting the highest academic achievers. Right. We're selecting the most motivated kids who want to who want to share their experiences and who who we see, you know, playing a part in terms of not just improving themselves, but there's something about them that, you know, will help the community. Sure. And um, so let's start with that. But, you know, beyond that, it, it's what I touched on a little while ago when I came in as a dean of students. I, I made one big mistake is I, I brought in kind of a traditional school handbook. Right. After about a year or two, I just chucked it. I'm like, oh my God, this is like, you know, <laughs> all these rules and what's going on. And I, and I flipped right. it to an honor code right. with expectations, you know, and that was a big moment in the school's life. I, I think the reason why is because when you, when you tell the kid, hey, here's what I expect from you, it's very, it, it's positive and forward thinking as opposed to here's what not to do. Rules. Right. Absolutely. Right? Rules limit you, you know, to a certain extent. And so we, we set that groundwork around expectations really early. We brought in kids who, you know, that we saw wanted to meet those expectations and not just take care of themselves, but take care of those around them. And, and then, um, you know, the experiences, you, you kind of hit it on the head is um, we're really interested in, you know, this individual driving you know, towards success, but also bringing along others for the ride. And so there's, there was a lot of work around equity. Um, mm -hmm. um, we, we, you know, simple things like we, we don't have a homecoming king because that, that kind of separates you. Right. Um, you know, um, you know, we, we would be careful with like, you know, the yearbook on the most popular kid and who had the sure. most beautiful eyes and <laughs> right. know, what, what qualities are you emphasizing? You know, right. And, and so sure. the, the qualities we would emphasize would be things like, you know, we had our 10 banner values, you know, things like integrity, right. um, service, <laughs> uh, knowledge, uh, you know, those were things that we, we tried to reward, if you will, or at least point yeah. out. Sure. And so, you know, what you, what you start doing is the language of inclusivity. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, instead of me saying I led the school, which I've done that a few, few times on this podcast, you know, <laughs> it was always, a, it was always a we proposition. We. Sure. We. Absolutely. And, you know, when you use that language, it empowers people that they feel part of. Right. And so the school remained nimble. You know, one of the things I hope that happens moving forward is that they, they, re, they remain nimble, meaning that, you know, trends change, things happen, things move. Right. And so many institutions get stuck in their way. Right. Well, we tried that in 1964, so we're not going to do that again. No, 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 no. <laughs> right. Let's look at it a little differently through another lens and let's see what we, right. can, what we can build here. So, you know, if, if you look at the experience, it's about relationship. It's about the individual 
um, growing and at the same time, um, you know, uh, bringing along everybody with them. It's about having extraordinary teachers that are guides and mentors. Right. They're not the, you know, sage on the stage. They are collaborating with the students in a learning enterprise, you know. Right. Uh, they're, they're two-way learning. I can learn as much right. from the student and the kid next to me as I can deliver as a teacher, right? Right. Sure. Um, knowing each student, you know, uh, you know, really deeply. We've already touched on that a little bit. Um, giving students genuine le leadership opportunities. So right. when our freshmen come on campus, their whole orientation is led by students. When we take them on a retreat um, about a month into their first year up in Big Bear, that's all led by students. Right. Um, in the classroom, you know, students lead exercises, lead lessons. Uh, you know, when you give them that power, uh, they rise sure. to the challenge. Kids are harder on themselves than, than we sure. are. And so, so they really meet the expectation. Um, you know, and then making sure there's a balance of academics, arts, um, service, um, uh, opportunities to engage. Right. Uh, and if you put Absolutely. that in front of a kid and is genuine and authentic, they, they, most of them rise to the challenge. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, you, you said a couple of things there that are just, I think, really, really important is, you know, first off, I, I think the hardest thing for good leaders is to take credit for things that they've done because they don't, they, they to your point, they view themselves as, as, as part of a team. There's this we over me mentality. And, um, you know, that's like one of the things I've always struggled with in, in interviews. I don't, I don't like the pronoun I, you know. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in working with my, my colleagues, working with my administrators, because that's going to provide the best possible experience. And it's a win, win, win all the way around. Um, but, but I think uh, good leaders know when to take credit, but they frame it in a way that, that, that they are recognized that might have been their idea. Hey, I, we wanted to do this. This is how we went about doing it. And I think you definitely, um, you know, had, had, had phrased those things, uh, regardless if it was your vision or not, um, it, it's, it, it's still this we mentality. I think great leaders do that. Um, I know one of the things that I remember witnessing firsthand is how involved everyone in is on campus. And, and, and again, when I was there, uh, when you were just the dean of students, you know, your presence Okay, for those of you, who, obviously you, know, you can't see Gordon, but Gordon's six eight. He's bald. He commands presence. You know, he walks into a room, and you're like, "Whoa, look at that guy!" Um, and then you hear him talking, and you can hear his, you know, voice is deep and booming. So you know, right away, just his overall persona, his physical pre his presence is like, "Whoa, I should pay attention to this guy." But kind of once you get past the exterior, and you really see the level of engagement and involvement. Um, that I witnessed firsthand, and then really that culture that was planted—that everyone's involved—it's um, it, just a great atmosphere to be a part of. People want to work harder because of the environment that they, they, they've been put in, and when they're given value, they're given opportunity, um, and and then have those experiences and relationships. It 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 really does, you know, move things forward. Um, sure, there's going to be bumps in the road. Sure, there's going to be hurdles. Sure, there's going to be challenges. Uh, but at the end of the day, that that constant, we uh, we need to get this done. This is how we're going to do it. This is what we need you to do. And and you know everybody pitches in. And I think just being able to from afar watch 
you know, sage hill grow not only in our county, but in the state and then in the country. And, and me knowing you, me knowing you're the, the guy pushing, pushing the, the bus up the hill uh, and, and getting everybody else behind the bus with you, um, you know, I, I hope you take more credit than, you know, I know you won't, but I hope you take more credit because it's, you know, when people look back uh, at Sage Hill 30 years from now, um, obviously your name is on a building. That's an amazing, uh, um, you and, and uh, Patricia, you guys' names are on a building, but, you know, at the end of the day, you, you were a, you're certainly a, a cornerstone in, in that establishment. So, uh, you know, congratulations for just an amazing you know, adventure, as we were talking about it earlier. Um, and uh, it's, it's been great to kind of watch and, and I'm really stoked for you in that regard. So, okay, last final thing. Again, I like to address whoever I'm talking to. I'm a big quote guy. I'm, I've been big into podcasts. Um, there's a guy by the name of Tim Kite. He, he does a, fo his podcast is called Focus 3. Um, he partners with his brother, Brian, and they're kind of gurus, right? They work with corporations. They work with sports teams. And he's done a lot of podcasts with Coach Urban Meyer. And in one of their podcasts, uh, they were talking about leadership. And, and Tim Kite talks about the five E's of leadership, okay? And, and here's the quote. A leader must instill the five E's into their people. Engage, envision, equip execute and encourage. Okay. Now quickly, just to kind of define those engage is relationships, um, must be, uh, purposeful with people. It's not just, Hey, how you doing? There, there's a purple purposeful engagement. Envision is setting goals, uh, working out a plan and working with one another to get them done. Equip, um, providing people with skills and opportunities to better themselves. Execute kind of speaks for itself. So you got to do the work and then finally encourage. And that's to um, install uh, basically to give people positive input uh, to be the best version of themselves. Right. So those, that's a lot to unpack. And we, you've certainly touched on all five of these. Um, but let's just, let's just choose one. Um, that I think one that, that I think you can really, I think you've touched on, I just want to continue to kind of hammer on is engagement. Your, your life as an educator so far, how valuable, how valuable have you looked at being able to engage not only in students, but your staff, the school community, third parties, et cetera. And, you know, maybe there's a story in there too. You can, you can possibly share about these pivotal engagement opportunities that, had an impact maybe on the school or on you, those kind of things. Yeah, thanks for that segue in. And, you know, I haven't read Tim Kite. Um, you shared this quote with me uh, yesterday and I, you know, kind of looked into it a little bit. It's funny, the one of the taglines that I used at Sage Hill back in 2009 when we were trying to get the, the school back on track is, you know, we wanted to, to distill what the school does in a, in a single phrase. Mm -hmm. And I would, I came up, you know, with some help, um, you know, we proposition again with this, right. um, this, this, this statement that said, you know, we give our students opportunities to engage so that they can become the best possible version of themselves. Right. You know? and, uh, yeah. You just, you just uh, hit engage and best possible version of themselves with the encouragement, you know, two of the, two of the five, you know, that are listed there. Um, 
Yeah, my, my thing was always an engagement proposition. Um, I, 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 you know, people say this in a self-deprecating way, but I really mean it. I mean, every room I go into, there's somebody smarter than me that can focus in on an area that, that's just not in my wheelhouse. Sure. And so, like, I never laid out the curriculum plan at Sage Hill School. We had a dean of academics who, you know, had a PhD in curriculum and right. you know, it's been a few different people over the years and, and I would look to them. Sure. And I would say, well, what do you think? You know, here's what I'm thinking. And then they would feed back and, you know, mold it and, and change it. And I'd be like, oh, this guy's brilliant. Let's do that. Right. <laughs> then, you know, the same thing. I have a CFO at CHL school. Like, you know, I, look, I know enough about finance to be dangerous, but, um, you know, if I really want to get into the details, I'm going to lean on her. Sure. You know? um, so I have to engage these people fully. And when we're in our executive team meeting or a staff meeting, you got to open up the floor a little bit and some, you might be going down a path. You know, I remember once I, we had this whole vision of, I say we, the executive team had this whole vision of this um, new learning center on campus. I'll just keep it right. brief. It's more complicated right. than that. Right. And so I go up in front of the, the faculty and I say, look, here's what we're hoping to do three to five years from now. And, you know, my, my goal was twofold. I wanted to get buy-in. Right. And then I, I didn't really want it, but I knew that I also had to get feedback. Right. <laughs> I, 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 I hate feedback, but I love feedback. Sure. I hate it because my first instinct is to defend my argument. Right. And then I got to tell myself, just be quiet and listen. Right. And maybe they have a point. You know, so like uh, there's a saying that I would always use is like, put your flag, stick your flag in. This is how you feel. But right. Be willing to move the flag. Right. You know, sure. so I'm putting that stake in the ground, but like I'm willing to move it. Right. So like it's important as a leader that you have your belief and you have your view. That's my stake. Right. But I'm willing to listen and understand where I may need to shift. And, and right. I wish our politicians would have that, you know. Sure. That standpoint, because none of them are perfectly right. <laughs> you know, they can all move a little <laughs> bit and, um, you know, we can get somewhere. So engagement. So like at a teaching uh, teacher slash administrative level, that engagement was brainstorming, coming up with a, a, a con, I say concrete, let, let's call it a, a concrete, a wet concrete idea that you can still mold a little bit if you need to. Sure. sure. Um, Engagement with the community is huge. You know, $60 million, you got to raise that. Am I going to raise that by going out in the community and saying, this is how it's going to be, da-da-da-da, my vision is so great, join me. Well, you also need to move with them a little bit. And so a lot of the work then becomes, I've engaged with the faculty first, then I go out with the community, oh, I got to move it a little bit more, come back to the faculty, engage with them again. Right. <laughs> Ship it again, you know, right. and, 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 and find that little spot. And it's always narrow that right. everybody goes, that's it. That's the one. Right. Um, but then most importantly, as an educator, you got to engage with those kids, you know, right. and I've seen so many administrators, you know, get lost behind their desk in the pile of paper right. and right. it drives me nuts, you know, and I, and I, I, I just look at them and I'm like, come on guys, let's get outside and let's go visit a right. class and let's go, you know, I got, I would get more work done in the drop off line with ninth and 10th grade families, you know, in the morning. Right. Then I could ever behind a mound of paper, just connection right. points. And I'm like, Hey, I wanted to follow up with you, you know, regarding that thing we're working on together. Oh, Hey, can, right. can we grab a coffee next week? Sure. Uh, with a student, whatever the case may be. Right. Right. It's all about engagement. And, um, so many people give that, they know it's important, 
Right. They don't have a priority because it feels like there's a list of things you got to do. Right. And people can measure the list. You can measure right. it. I wrote that pamphlet. I put that policy in place. You can't measure engagement because it keeps on changing and evolving and right. moving. But when people trust you, when people believe in you, when people know you have their back, you already said it, they will go through walls for you. Yes. Now you can do anything you want. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's gold right there. And I think, you know, as, as we were talking before is I teach in the virtual space. So how do I engage in those kids where I can't see the whites of their eyes and, and be my court jester like self to, to get them engaged. And I think regardless of what you're doing, if, and it goes back to something we said earlier, if, if people do not see that you're investing in them, they're going to, you know, you know, turn you out, tune you out. And, you know, I was talking with one of, one of the principals that I know at my school, um, her daughter and my daughter go to school together, you know, so happily. And, uh, you know, she's like, I want to pick your brain about like getting kids engaged. And I said, I go, I go, great. I'm going to tell you what I do, but it's a reflection of who I am. Okay. You, there, there's, I know most of my colleagues and it's not a knock on them. They're not me. They don't have the same experiences as me. They don't have the ADD that kicks in that takes us down a rabbit trail, but somehow makes sense. That, that's not who they are. It's not that they're bad teachers, but they, you know, you as an administrator need to sit down with them to figure out what, what are their skills to be able to engage. Because if they're not engaging with their students and, and you use the pun so appropriately, sage from the stage, um, you know, you can't do that in education anymore. You can't sit at the front of the room and, and talk, talk at your students for 45, 50 minutes and expect to have learning going on. It's not to say lecture is not important. That's not what I'm saying. We're not talking about teaching strategies here. But if there's not an opportunity for you to walk over to little Billy's desk and be like, hey, what's going on, man? Did you see the football game last night? Or, hey, how about them angels? Or, uh, how about those Steelers? And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those one of those things is that you gotta if you're not willing to invest the time to get to know your people, you won't get the greatness out of them that you're expecting. And, and I think you know you, you said it so uh, in in your role because you have to go and in, in, in enter into so many groups of people that have their own agendas, their own hiccups, their own whatever it is to, but you have to have that willingness, that, that ability to engage in those groups to be able to achieve your goals. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, and I'm going to say this, this might be unpopular, mm -hmm. but sometimes engagement is selfish. It's selfishly motivated. And, and I'll, I'll just give you an example from my own classroom is that I'm going to engage in students so I can find out what makes them tick. So when I need something from them, I can use that chip. And being that I've established that relationship, I'm going to get what I need out of them. Oh, absolutely. You know? I absolutely. mean, it, and, 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 and when you see it like that, that, that sounds very selfish. But at the end of the day, isn't that what we want our leaderships to do for us? Get to know who I am. So when they need something for me, they can turn to me and say, hey, Pollock, look, I, I know you got 101 things in the fire, but here's one more iron. Get to work. And you're like, absolutely. I will jump on that grenade in a heartbeat. And I think if we're not in, 
will purposefully engaging, right? There's intent, there's purposeful intent. There's a plan in place that when I go talk to little Billy or little Billy's parents or my assistant principal or my, you know, any of my administrators, you know, if I don't have that purpose in mind, it's not authentic. And you know, as well as I do, kids see through that in a heartbeat. They do oh, not want the use. They do not want the used car salesman. And if you're a used car salesman out there, we love you. But at the at the end of the day, they're going to see through that. And yeah, and, and then, yeah, and then you, you totally defeat your your agenda. So the only, thing, the only thing I would add to that, Pat, and and I think it's good for your listeners to kind of think about this is, you do have to figure out how to engage within your style. Yes. So I'm not you. You're not me. There's a hundred other styles out there. Um, so my, you know, mine's easy. I'm a loud, gregarious, outgoing, <laughs> present guy. You know, and so right. like, it's easy for me to engage in, in that regard. But you might be introverted. Okay. Well, then maybe your engagement's via um, you know handwritten notes. Maybe your engagement right. is via intellectual dialogue on the side. I mean, it, it can be totally different. Absolutely. Um, but that kid needs to know that you're thinking about them. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, man, that's, we, we've, we've tackled a lot, man. We, we certainly climbed Kilimanjaro here today. And I, again, I can't, I, I deeply appreciate you sharing your, your, uh, you know, your visions, your experiences, your path in education. And, uh, you know, I, it doesn't matter what you do next. You can buy an ice cream truck for all I care and call it G's ice cream truck. And, and you're going to be amazing at it because everyone's going to want to be chasing you down the street back in the day. And I hadn't thought about that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, we've been on a, we've been on a good ride together, Pat. I mean, you know, we've, we've uh, experienced um, so much um, similarities, you know, basketball, uh, you know, Orange County, UC San Diego, um, Club Mac, you know, Pacific business system, Sage Hill school, online world you know changing careers you know you're right. you're a brother to me and uh let's 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 enjoy the ride no for sure uh, absolutely and, and just if i just want to kind of mention this i i i gordon had the best interview this is the best interview i've ever had was when i went to go work for gordon i i, I drove up i was still living in san diego at the time and i drove up and i'm wearing a shirt and tie i'm trying to impress you know hopefully my future boss and i, I drop off my resume and and uh, Gordon just took it, put it in a stack of papers and said, hey, we've got a men's basketball league starting on September 16th. So you start on the 9th. I was like, done. <laughs> I was like, done. I'm in. So uh, I already, did my, I already had, I had already done my homework on you, Pat. Like, yeah, I knew exactly. you up, down, it, left, right. So there was nothing you were going to say that was going to move me either way. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we need Just a make sure you give the ball to the big guy on the post, all right? Absolutely. Don't be backing up these three pointers. No, exactly. No, being a typical UCSD point guard is the Darvin Jackson School of Point Guard. Just give it to the people that can score. So. <laughs> Um, well, look, I, I really appreciate your time in this, um, and, and this is great. I, I think uh, hopefully uh, people walk away with a ton of information. If you have any questions or concerns, uh, leave some comments. You can reach out to me. You can find me at Twitter. You can just search the Everyday Teacher Podcast. Um, we'll be posting this later this week. And again, episode six, it, it's already going into the Hall of Fame. I, I deeply appreciate the, the energy and all the wisdom. and. Uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be posting this soon. Gordon, again, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pat. Have a great one. All right. All right, gang. Keep learning. 